if I've ever led it here, page 376. Uh, it's an old song. I think most of you know it anyhow, but we'll try it out and see. Oh, 
place where the skies are unclouded and he smiles on his children there some good old songs tonight hadn't heard that first one you've sang that hadn't heard that in years been a long time um as far as announcements go one main announcement is don't forget or this is a new announcement we need some candy brought in for the kids they're doing something for the kids for easter time or something like that but anyway Miss Kim told me to remind everybody to bring in some candy for that, and uh, amen, and uh, that's that. Now, our prayer list. We got a lot to pray for tonight, a lot going on, and uh, glad we've got a God big enough to meet every need that's represented on this prayer request already. We need to pray for Peggy Phillips. We need to pray for her son, George. He has visited with her at times uh, on Sunday mornings with her. He's had a heart attack and got to have heart surgery tomorrow. And she's all upset. She's down and coming, can't be there. And uh, so we need to really pray that for George, but we need to pray for Miss Peggy, that God would comfort her heart. Also, Rita Satterfield, continue praying for her, the Prescott family. Uh, Sister June Weathersby, Warren Vickers, Tim Mitchell. Tim's got the same thing you've got going on. Yep, yep, yep. And a family in China. Need to really pray for them and hold them up before the Lord. Peggy Jackson, Brad Masters, and Lisa Kemp family. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. I'm getting it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you, Paul. 
Okay. Who, Morrison? And what family is that? Uh, Christine Crow's family. Crow. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Brother Jeff. Anything else on anybody's heart tonight? Peggy Kemp. Rhonda who? And who? Brother Ron. My colleagues at work, Dante Smith. Anybody else tonight? Anything else on your heart? All right, let's gather around these altars together and pray over these needs. God knows exactly what to do in every situation, so let's come and just talk to the Lord about it.
you have any missionary offering tonight, you can bring it at this time and give. If you need a study sheet, they're on the table. Page 341 in your hymnal tonight. Give our orchestra a hand tonight.
we're his children and just as we care about our children and listening to their least of things it's big to them and that's the way God looks at all that we talk to him about I've lost things y'all know I lose things all the time I've honestly gotten down and prayed God please help me to find and then get up and walk and there there it is and uh, only God, only God. And that's just the Lord letting you know He's still here. He's still taking care of business for you. God's a good God. Amen. He's a wonderful Lord to us. Amen. I was asked tonight by a little child, uh, little Liz. She asked me, she said, Brother John, where did Easter come from? It's a great question. And uh, there's a lot of background that I could answer a question like that with. It was uh, originated as just a, a pagan holiday. Uh, they celebrated a holiday where they, where they worshipped uh, a goddess by the name of Istar. I-S-T-A-R. And uh, that holiday was celebrated around her birthday, which was around... The same time that the Jews uh, celebrated the Passover feast, their Passover feast. And down through time, uh, they got away from the worship of Istar, and uh, it became known as Easter, the celebration of Easter and the Eastern Star. And... Uh, and it kept it kept going through this transformation. How it all wound up to where it is today, I can't tell you. The word Easter appears one time in the Word of God. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 12, verse number 4, where Herod was intending to wreak havoc on the church after Easter, it says. And what Easter evolved into was a a Gentile holiday where they just celebrated. Uh, it, it didn't have any really uh, any character that they celebrated. It was just a Gentile holiday. And like I say, it was also around the time of the Jewish Passover. Well, then it got connected with the church because of its timing. And, and now we celebrate Easter which we know is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad we celebrated. I'm glad we've got a holiday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a great question that little Liz asked me tonight, and I thought I'd just kind of share some of that with you tonight. Let's take our Bibles and look at our study sheets together. We're going to finish up after, after several lessons. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 10 tonight. And look at some things that how this chapter ends. It is a tremendous, one of the most important chapters. All of them are important. Don't get me wrong when I say things like this. But one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts to understand. Without a clear understanding of what all is transpiring in Acts chapter 10. A lot of people get confused by some of the things that happen in it. But I hope that we've rightly divided it and we're, we're teaching it in a manner to where you can better understand all that God is accomplishing uh, in this chapter. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll look at our study sheets together tonight. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we want to tell you, Lord, thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for being so wonderful and so kind. Thank you, Lord, for answering Laurie's request, your little child. And Lord, just reaching down and letting her know, I'm there, I'm there. Lord, what a good testimony, a tremendous testimony that is tonight. And Lord, I'm glad she stood and let us know about it. And Lord God, we could all stand and talk about the things that you've done for us personally. And we just want to say thank you, Lord, for being the God that you are. You're high and you're holy, you're wonderful. But the most important thing to me is you're my God. And I love you for being who you are in my life. Lord, show us uh, some about you tonight. May we learn about Jesus Christ and his affairs and his gospel. And we're thankful for what you'll do in this room tonight. May the good word of God have free course and be glorified among us. And we're thankful for it. In Jesus Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's look at these study sheets together tonight as we finish up Acts chapter number 10. God has been very busy thus far in this chapter. He visited a Gentile named Cornelius with specific instructions that would lead him to the feet of Jesus Christ. The Lord had also visited Simon Peter, giving him a lesson to further his outreach among the Gentiles. Now the two men have gotten together aided by the sovereign work of God. At their initial meeting, Cornelius was so overwhelmed that he fell at the feet of Simon Peter and began to worship him. Peter corrects his humble gesture by standing him upright and informing him that he is also a man. Cornelius had gathered a room full of men together and Peter stood before these men and inquired about their intent. Cornelius explained how God had sent an angel to visit him four days before their meeting. During this heavenly visitation, the angel gave Cornelius specific instructions on how to find Simon Peter and to send men to bring him to Cornelius' house. I'm glad the Lord don't, don't just find pieces of paper and important documentation. I'm glad he can find me. I'm glad he can find people. Woo! I got a blessing. I got a happy bubble on that one. Amen. The reason Simon Peter was brought to this meeting is apparent to both men. God has a message that Cornelius and this group of Gentiles need to hear. Now, Simon is convinced and knows precisely what he should tell these men. They needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though they are Gentiles, God has already proven to Peter that he should not think of these men as unclean or ordinary people, but rather as men whom God is very much interested in, as much so as he is interested in Simon Peter. Simon has been given the keys to the kingdom, and one of those keys will unlock a mysterious door. This mystery will be revealed further to Paul later on, and Paul references it in his writings. We read about this in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. It says, even the mystery which God had been, had been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. The mystery is the inclusion of the Gentiles in salvation through Jesus Christ. But first, the door to this mystery must be opened by the Jewish man holding the key. The following few verses will reveal this great door being opened. And we'll look at verse 34 and 35 of Peter's opening. It said this, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The fate of the Gentile world is hanging in the balance at this point in church history. Along with the keys given to Simon Peter, he is also given the authority to open doors or let the doors to the kingdom remain shut. In Matthew 16, verse 19, this is what Jesus told Simon Peter. And he said, I will give unto thee, Simon Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter has already opened the first door, which he most willingly opened at Pentecost. This door opened the gospel message to the Jews first. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Peter loosed the good news of Jesus Christ upon the Jewish world, and the results were tremendous. We read about this in Acts 2.39 where it says this, For the promise is unto you, speaking to the Jewish uh, population that was there, and to your children, the nation of Israel, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, quite the revival meeting. Now he stands before a different crowd, a crowd of men he would have never dreamed he would be standing in the same company with. Peter was a full-blooded Jew who had been emphatically instructed not to go among the Gentiles. It said in this Matthew 10, 5 and 6, Then Jesus went, sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and in any city of the Samaritans, Enter ye not, but rather, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There had been no questioning in the mind of Peter about the first door, but this second door needed special instructions before he would ever consider opening it. Earlier in this chapter, the Lord had graciously spent time with Simon, making sure the lesson was clear. He had doubted and questioned the vision, but at as this chapter in Peter's life progressed, it became clear to his Jewish heart, God is no respecter of persons. So he opens his mouth, and in doing so, the key turns in the tumblers, and the second door swings as wide before the Gentile crowd, crowd as it had on the day of Pentecost. Solomon had written prophetic words that Simon Peter would fulfill on this monumental day. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. As a Gentile, I say thank you, Simon Peter. 
Thank you for listening to the Lord and realizing the importance and infinite merits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel message has always been to the Jew first and then to the Greek. In Romans 1.16, we read these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Simon could have thrust the law upon them. Peter could have said, Cornelius, you're a good man and hold a great reputation among the Jews, but one thing thou lackest. You must be circumcised and join up with my people. Then, Cornelius, you must start living under the law and observe all Jewish customs. If Peter had sounded out that message, the door to the Gentiles would have remained shut. But once Peter opened his mouth, the gospel message began its powerful effect upon the entire world. Acts 1.8 will now be completely fulfilled. And this is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, prefacing the book of Acts and what was going to happen. He said, but ye shall receive power, talking to his disciples, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, look at it, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. With both doors now fully open, the history of the church will never be the same. We still witness this day's blessings whenever someone, Jew or Gentile, bows their knees to Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down walls that separate and divide. The middle wall of partition between God and individuals is broken down when someone is saved. That is one of the benefits of salvation. We read about it in Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. Paul writing these words, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off but are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, now watch it, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Not only has the separating wall between God and man been abolished through the work of Christ, but the wall separating Jew and Gentile is also abolished. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, we read this. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. In the Jewish temple, God would visit with his people from a room called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. A veil separated the Jewish world from the presence of God. And the high priest was the only person allowed behind that veil only once a year. The day Jesus Christ died on Calvary, the temple's veil was rent into two separate pieces from the top to its bottom. We read about that in Mark 15, 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. When that happened... The way for all Jewish people to approach God was made possible. They did not realize it then, but all Jews could now enter the holiest place on earth. But the implications of the rent veil not only opened the way for every Jew to access God, but also opened the way to God for anyone, Jew or Gentile, to enter heaven. We read about that in Hebrews 10. 
Verse 19 and 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. The wall of separation has been utterly torn down, and anyone, Jew or Gentile, may come to God through Jesus Christ. If only the world understand, understood that great truth. There's not one way for Australians to be saved or, or a different way of salvation for the Chinese. There's not a specific path for the Indian people to be saved in a different way for the Mexicans. There's only one faith. There's only one Savior for the entire world. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm glad God made it that simple. <laughs> Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And again in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Huh. Now we want to consider the preacher's oratory, which is a bit lengthy, but we want to read it. It said in verse 36 through 43, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but under witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. <laughs> John had written in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is exactly where Peter begins his message. The Word was sent unto the children of Israel, and the Word proclaimed peace to a world looking for it in all the wrong places. And the world continues to this day looking for peace without turning to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Without someone first making peace with God through Jesus Christ, there is no peace to anyone. Cornelius had proven he was looking for something. He was a good man who did great and notable things among his people. He knew enough about the God of the Hebrews to see that their God loved goodness and mercy. And what he had done touched the heart of God, but inwardly, there was something still missing in the heart of Cornelius. 
That is why Peter is now preaching to him and his companions. They need some thing. They, <clears throat> where is it? Where is it? Where am I? That is why Peter is now preaching to him and his companions. They needed to be pointed in the right direction. And Jesus Christ is who is missing in their lives. They do not need something to fulfill their emptiness. They need someone to make them whole. Peter explains how Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Ghost in power. He tells about him doing good and healing people. He then tells them about Jesus Christ being hung on a tree and slain. And without missing a beat, Simon Peter tells the most wonderful news the world has ever heard. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. Simon also tells the crowd that he saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. To prove his witness to this fact, he adds, I want you to know I ate and drank with him. <laughs> you know what John wrote in 1 John. I love the way 1 John opens. He said that which was from the beginning. And he gets to talking about the word. He said, and the word was manifested among us and became flesh. He said, I want you to know, I have touched God. You read 1 John 1, the opening verses. He said, whom we have touched with our hands. He said, I want you to know, I touched God. Can you imagine? When it finally realized in those disciples' mind exactly who Jesus Christ was. Wow, I touched God. Mm, 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 mm. Don't you know Mary had a lot to say? I believe that's why John, the Apostle John, wrote like no other gospel writer. Do you remember on the cross? Jesus looked down from that cross and he said, John, take mama home with you. Mary, there's your boy now. And now John is spending time with Mary who raised Jesus Christ. I believe that's why he can talk about things that no other apostle writer can talk about. He talked about love like no other apostle wrote about love. And he said about his gospel, he said, these things were written that you might believe. Whew. Lord have mercy. I, I can't wait to get there and see him, see Jesus Christ. And just behold who he really is. You know, oh Lord have mercy. I get excited just talk, talk, thinking about it. Thinking about it. Where are we at? Oh yeah. Peter has turned their attention to Jesus Christ. And now, the most crucial emphasis of all. Jesus Christ is the judge of the quick and the dead. With that statement, Peter informs them that Jesus Christ is their judge. He is emphasizing their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus had told the disciples that this would be how the Holy Ghost would convict men. We read about this in John 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, he said, I tell you the truth. It is it expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now watch this. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and what? And of judgment. The Holy Ghost is leading Peter to be a strong witness to these Gentiles. 
He finally ends his message by telling them that forgiveness of their sins is available by believing in Jesus Christ. Cornelius is a good man, but he's still a sinner in the eyes of God. He had been doing great good things, but he needed to do better. He needed to believe in Jesus Christ and receive him into his life. His goodness is far from enough. He needed to believe in what Jesus Christ had personally done for him. But this message is not only for Cornelius. There's a whole congregation assembled who were hearing the same message. Now we want to consider lastly in the last few verses the pouring out. We read these words in verses 44 through 48. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. The hungry men drank in and hung upon every word Simon Peter spoke. His words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, were finding their mark, and their hearts were receptive and ready. Then it happened. The Holy Ghost fell on all who heard the word, and those receiving the gift began speaking in tongues. The last event like this was during the Jewish feast of Pentecost. On that day in Acts 2, men from at least 17 regions had assembled to hear what the disciples had to say, and they were all Jews. When the disciples began speaking in their native tongue, the assembled crowd heard the message in their languages. The miracle was not the tongues. The miracle was found in the fact that everyone understand, understood what the disciples were saying. In Acts 2, 5 and 8, we read these, these words. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now the Gentiles were doing the same thing that the Jews had done. Why was God working in this manner? Both in Acts 2 and now in Acts 10, tongues were being used as a sign to the Jews who were present. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22, it says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. The two events are so much alike that Peter mentions them as similar events later in the book of Acts. We read about these words where Simon Peter referenced Acts 2 and Acts 10. He said in Acts eleven fifteen, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, talking about the Gentiles, as on us, the Jews, at the beginning. Then he said it again in Acts 15, 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, the Gentiles, even as he did unto us 
the Jews. There were similarities, but there were also differences. John Phillips writes about these differences in his commentary on Acts where he said these words, but there were differences too. When the Holy Spirit came upon the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, there was a demand that the convicted Jews repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, and thus receive the Holy Spirit. There was none of that here. The Gentiles were not nationally guilty of murdering a Messiah as were the Jews. With this descent of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, the mystery of the church was completed. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile was broken down. From now on in the church, the Lord Jesus made in himself of twain one new man. The Gentiles were no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The sign gift of tongues was necessary on this day, just as it was on the day of Pentecost. At the first event, tongues were used as a sign for the unbelieving Jews who were present. The Jews needed to know that this new gospel message was true and was open to them. See, they'd been living under the law. They'd been observing all the feasts. They'd been, they'd been given the law and all the commandments. And now God was doing the New Testament thing. The Old Testament was now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this new message was indeed the way to salvation. God gave them the sign of tongues. And that miracle convinced them thoroughly. Now, with the sign of tongues in Acts 10... Simon Peter and the other Jews with him knew God was including the Gentiles in the outreach of the gospel. Believing any such thing would be hard for them without the sign of tongues. The Jews present needed convincing. The Jews require a sign. The Jews who were with Peter in Acts 10 now knew the Gentiles were included in God's plan. It was no longer singularly Jewish. The gospel was open to the entire world. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile in the gospel plan. Everyone is included. Peter commands all the new converts to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church blossoms with this new addition. Jesus had said he would build his church and he certainly is. The new believers asked Peter to stay with them. And how long he did, we're not told. These new believers were excited and they wanted to know more. Cornelius is now complete. He now knows why he wanted to pray and give to his community. Jesus Christ has and will answer all his questions. He simply needed someone to guide him to Jesus. <laughs> That's Acts 10. Woo! <laughs> what a chapter. What a chapter. Amen. Are we, are we doing, we're doing good tonight. Those kiddos can come back in now and we won't be interfering with them. Amen. I pray that that was a blessing to you and you learned something tonight.